You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. You may be seated. Thank you, Zach. If we've never met before, my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors also here. And just like what's been said, just want to say welcome. Really glad that you're uh, a part of our Sunday gathering. So um, if you're just joining us, we're, uh, we're in a 12-week series in the book Ecclesiastes, uh, which is one of our wisdom books within the Old Testament. And we've entitled this series, uh, Wise, Living Life as a Gift and Not Gain. And uh, if you were with us last week, uh, you may have recognized that we read the same passage of Scripture that we read last week, and you're kind of going, what's, what's going on here? Well, I didn't feel like you guys got it last week, so I thought, hey, we'll do it again. I just felt like it didn't land really well with most of you, so let's do a little rerun, amen? So uh, most of you forgot any, anyways. Like, some of you are like, oh, we read that same passage last week? Like You're going, oh, I, I thought it sounded familiar. So, but here's, here's what we're uh, doing. Thanks for like four people laughing at that one. Uh, here's what we're doing this morning. So you could look at... Uh, chapters 1 and 2, which we looked at over the last two Sundays as a way of kind of giving an introduction to the whole of the book. And so the way to kind of get our minds around what, what is the preacher getting after here in this book here. And so what I want to do this morning before we jump into chapter 3 next week is to take a look, uh, kind of go into the woods a little bit and take a look at a specific topic that he actually repeated over and over in these few verses. And that topic is the issue of work and labor. And so the question I... I want to try to answer, and this is not an exhaustive understanding about work. And when I talk about work, I'm not just talking about uh, stuff that you get paid for, even though I have that in mind, obviously. Uh, but there's, there's a ton of work that you do. Uh, if you're a parent here, that's work. You don't get paid for that work, but that's work. Amen? Can I get a little amen there? Uh, that's a lot of work. Uh, a lot of you in here volunteer and, and do work within the community here, and it's, it's, still, it's still work. And so, uh, so when, I, when I speak of this, and I think uh, the preacher here also is talking about this in Ecclesiastes. He's given that kind of broad understanding of work. And the, and the question I want to answer today is why work? And like I said, I'm not giving an exhaustive understanding of work here. I'm just trying to stay within the lanes of the book of Ecclesiastes and try to answer that question based on what the preacher here in Ecclesiastes helps answer that question. Why work? Why do we give ourselves 50, 60 hours a week why are some of us in this room right now thinking about tomorrow morning and what you have on your plate or the conversation that you've got to have or the presentation you've got to do? Like, like why? For some of you in this room, I, talking to one of our members last week, he's retired, just finished up close to 40 years of work there, I think, if I remember correctly, maybe butchering this. But at the end of the day, like for 40 years of working at a company, like you have to ask the question, like, Why? I gave my life to this. Why? If you took psychology in college or if you took some kind of psychology course in high school, you probably came aware of this sort of hierarchy of needs that uh, a psychologist named Maslow, his last name is Maslow, created. I think most of you know what I'm talking about. It's a little diagram here. I'm not unpacking all of this today. That's not my, my goal here. But there's a lot of truth in what he laid out here. He's just basically saying, hey, there are 
There are certain needs that you need to be met as a human being in order to be a human being that flourishes. And if you've got some of these needs that are not being met, you're not going to be a flourishing human being. And, and the one that I just want to like land on just for a few minutes here is the one in blue and this, this idea of like the esteem needs, this, um, this need that all of us in hum, as human beings need a, a sense of worth, a value, a, a feeling of accomplishment that I've, that I've done something, that, I, that there's something I've given my time and my energy into that was significant. And that's, that's not a, like an evil or wicked or sinful need. I would put before you, that's a, that's a, that's a good need. I mean, it's a good desire. I mean, God, you're made in the image of God and he put that desire in you to, to do something of significance and importance, of, of value, this feeling of accomplishment. And so my, my question for you, and I've kind of given it away because you know what I'm talking about this morning, but just kind of play with me and pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about this morning. Like, where do we try to find that need met? When you think about your life, where is it that we primarily try to find this need of accomplishment and significance and, and making a mark in life? Where is that need pursued after? I would say work. There's nothing else uh, that we can give eight hours to. I mean, you can give eight hours to sleep, which is recommended of us, right? But you can't make love for eight hours. That's supposed to be a little snicker. All right, maybe everybody got a little awkward, but if you can, all right, well, all right, moving on. Uh, we can't eat for eight hours. I mean, you could try. Probably not wise. But what do we do? Each and every day, for most of us, we, we work for eight hours at least. Some of us work way more than that. So the, the question is that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to put before us is, will, will work do this for you? Will work, your, your work, what you, you give your week to, will it meet that need in you? Will it meet this need for kind of significance, meaning, purpose, accomplishment, that I've, that I've done something in my life? Will work do that for you? And the answer that the preacher gives to us, and I'm kind of giving the answer, uh, and then we'll defend it here in just a minute, is, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, kind of, sort of, no, not really. And that's exactly what the preacher will do. You see, remember, like, Part of what the preacher's trying to do here, and if you're just rolling in here and you wonder what I'm calling it, that's the translation of, uh, some translations have teachers, some translations have koheleth. Uh, it's the preacher, it's his words. But what he's trying to do here is he's trying to examine life as it is. He uses the phrase under the sun. It doesn't, doesn't mean that the preacher is like an atheist or he's trying to define life apart from God. No, no he's, he's actually pretty right on theologically as we kind of get through this book. Like he has a, a real belief in who God is, right? He's, but he's, he's trying to understand life under the sun as a result of the fall. What took place in Genesis chapter three and how this curse not only hindered humanity and brought a brokenness to humanity, it also brought a brokenness to the world. And so he's trying, trying to say like, what value is work in a broken world? I'm trying to 
face this head on. I'm trying to see it as it is. And he's not trying to be like this, you know, guy in midlife crisis, or he's trying not to be overly cynical. He's not trying to be depressing. He's just trying to be honest. And with his honesty, he's trying to wake us up and stop chasing after something that you never can catch. You cannot catch the wind. So when it comes to work, um, his point is like, yeah, you can, you can sort of go after it and think it's going to fill that need in your life, but it won't. It, it will not. And so how he shows us this is brilliant. I mean, an amazing writer here. He, he kind of lays out some myths that we believe about work. And I, and I wanted to spell these real quick here. There's three of them that he brings out to us that we have a tendency to kind of believe. Whether we consciously believe this, we doesn't really matter because subconsciously it's sort of in us that we kind of believe this. So the first myth is this, and we talked a little bit about this in week one, but it's good for us to circle back around and make this point again. Myth first is that we have a tendency to believe that our work will have some kind of lasting impact. That I will leave some kind of legacy. And so that's, that's I'm going to pursue after work because I really think, man, this work is going to have some lasting impact. That's the first myth that he dispels. He does this in chapter 1, starting in verse 4, where he says a generation goes and a generation comes. It just keeps, the cycle continues on. He says it in verse 11, where he says there's no remembrance of those who come before and of those who will come after. They will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. You're not going to have any lasting impact because you will be forgotten after you die, he kind of hits on this also in 18 through 21. And you feel sort of his frustrations about this because he's going, man, I labor 40, 50 years. This is my life work. And then I die and I give it to somebody. And who knows whether they'll be wise or a moron. That's my translation of a fool, right? I mean, that's what he's saying here. Look at verse 18. We'll read it again. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool, yet he will take over all of my work. I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. It's meaningless. It's, it's vanity. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work that I labored on under the sun where there is a person whose work is done with wisdom and knowledge and skill and he must give it to this portion to a person who has not worked for it? This too is futile. It's a great wrong. I mean, you feel the preacher's frustrations here from his perspective, and we would all agree with this. There seems to be sort of this expectation that if you work wisely, if you work in a skillful way, if you do your work really well and you're successful with it, there should be some lasting reward. But there's not. Maybe there's a temporary reward. Maybe there's a, a temporary high five, pat on the butt, bonus check, great job, you're awesome. But after that, it's gone. There's, there's, there's no lasting reward because you're going to die and you're going to hand your life work to someone you don't even possibly know. And most likely, they'll change it, do something different, or altogether forget about it. The greatest example of this in the Bible is a guy named Rehoboam. 
You know who Rehoboam is? Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And when Solomon died, Rehoboam became king. Read it in 1 Kings chapter 12. And within a few short months, it might have been a little longer than that, but within the Bible, it seems like a very short period, Rehoboam divided the kingdom and it went to, you know where, really fast, right? So, so in the days of Solomon, Israel was in prominence, their beauty. People were coming all over the place to take a look at them. He built this beautiful temple to have worship of God. And then one son, comes in and decides to take the counsel of a bunch of 20-year-olds that are hanging out with him saying, you know what, man, if you want to you know, really be somebody, then you got to kind of like hammer down these people. They're complaining about all the labor. Well, make it harder. And as soon as he did that, split the kingdom. And eventually Babylon comes several years later, destroys Judah and that beautiful temple that Solomon built. His life work ended because he had to give his life work over to a fool. We, we do, whether you want to believe this or not, this is what the, the preacher is trying to get. We have a tendency to live with this illusion that, that what we do, our work, if we do it well, successfully, we're going to leave some kind of lasting impact. And the preacher's coming in and saying, look, that's a myth. You're going to die and be forgotten and your work will eventually be forgotten. In my world, I don't know if it's like this for your world, but in my world, uh, it seems like uh, to be a real pastor, you've got to write a book. That's what it feels like, it does. If you, if you write a book, oh my, you've reached the pinnacle, all right? I feel this all the time, I do. And so, but here's the reality, right? It's, it's just kind of comforting, right, a little bit. It's like, if I end up ever, God, God's grace, writing a book, here's the reality of writing that book. Within a few short years, probably two, three years at the most, it will be at half price books. If it's not at half price books, it's on at a garage sale and it doesn't even have a sticker on it. It'll be in the box that says free, right? And that's the majority of books. Myth number one, you will not. No matter how wisely you do your work, it will not last you, beyond you. You will die, you will be forgotten, and who knows what your work's gonna be done. Meaningless, vanity, hevel is the Hebrew word. Second myth is this, is that we kind of believe that work will bring a kind of an ultimate joy and satisfaction in us. And I would say, yes, it, it does in part, for sure. And the preacher would agree with this also. And part of that is because we're all created in the image of God. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it doesn't matter. The reason why when you get done mowing grass and you step back and you take a deep breath and you're like, you have some satisfaction with that. Why is that? Because you're made in the image of God. You're made to work. You're made to produce. And there's a joy, a sense of satisfaction. Wow, the yard looks good. The hedges look awesome. The mulch looks nice there. Man, I'm stuck in a step back viewing this sucker. You do that with, your, with a project done, an assignment done, whatever it is, there's a sense of satisfaction and joy that comes with that. And that is good. But here's the point that the preacher's going to make for you. It ends. It's short-lived. It's like smoke. It's vapor. It's gone. I got to mow the grass next week. I got to put mulch down again next year or even a few more months. 
You got another project that's coming. Like it, like you, like you, some of you work in places to where you don't even get the joy and satisfaction of seeing someone enjoy your product. But here's the thing that the preacher's trying to, not only do you not get this full ultimate joy and satisfaction, so even if you get it a little bit, it's short-lived, but sometimes we downplay what actually work does give us. Or not downplay, we just ignore it. Here's what work gives us. Did you see that in verse 22? Listen to what he said. For what does a person get with all of his work and all of his efforts that he labors on the sun? Here's the answer. For all his days are filled with grief. Sit with that. And his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is futile. So not not only do you not get ultimate joy and satisfaction, or if you get a sense of that, it never lasts. Here's what you get. You get this. You're, You're filled with grief and you're occupation is sorrowful. Your job may bring a sense of joy and satisfaction, but it will also bring pain. It will also bring sorrow. It will bring stress. It will bring anxiety. It will bring sleepless nights. It will bring ulcers. Can I get one amen for crying out loud? Am I living on an island? Isn't this what you get? from your 50 to 60 hours of work a week? Studge Turkle, I think I'm saying his name right. If I'm not, someone can correct me later. Amen. Uh, Wrote a book in 1971. I think it won a Pulitzer Prize. And this was the title of the book, Working. And then the explanation of that is, people talk about what they do all day and how they feel about it. So he went around, he's a journalist, went around to all kinds of blue-collar workers and just basically talked about what they do all day and how they feel about it. Here is, I did not read the whole book. I found it online at Amazon where you can kind of do the little sneak peek. Don't you love that? It's like, ah, you can get like a little, little you know, whatever. Um, here is the opening paragraph to the introduction of the book. Right? Opening paragraph to the introduction. It's written in 1971, 50 years ago. Listen to what he says. This book, being about work is by its very nature about violence. Oh my goodness, right? I'll read that again. This book, and there's a lot of commas there, right? It's like, dude, that's a lot of commas. This book, being about work, is by its very nature about violence to the spirit as well as to the body. It's about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting matches as well as fist fights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It is above all and beneath all about daily humiliations. To survive the day is triumph enough for the walking wounded among the great many of us. I I don't know what your experience is, but I don't know if much has changed in 50 years. The word that's translated work in These chapters is a word that kind of carries more of the negative connotation of work, like hard work, drudgery, even misery. That's why some of your translations have toil. 
I sat down with a group of men a couple weeks ago and just kind of sharing the day together, spending the day together, sharing our lives together. And each of these men, each of these men, were talking about their work. And one of the things I noticed from all of these men is the physical strain that their work has put on their bodies. Weight gain, ulcers, hospitalization, can't sleep. So yeah, the preacher comes and says, yeah, follow your passion and your dreams, right? Go for it. But understand this, it may end up ruining you. Gain weight, can't sleep, high blood pressure, addictions, you may even lose your family because of this thing called work. And the writer's just asking an honest question, is it really worth it? And I know if you grew up in the Bible Belt or if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's like, oh yeah, but we got the resurrection. You know, we got Jesus coming along. And that's all true. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. I'm not. I'm just asking you not to go there so fast. Because when you go there really quickly, you don't feel the weight that the writer wants you to feel. He wants you to feel this. So not only do you not get joy and satisfaction that will really last, in fact, you get ulcers. How's that? In fact, you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning, ruminating about stuff going on in your work that, that you can't even go back to sleep. How's that working for you? Is that really fulfilling? You love that? You spent 50 years of your life at this company and they just threw you a little going away banquet and that's it? That's all I got? He's wanting you to feel this, that this thing you give your life to, right? Is it worth it? Not only do you not have lasting impact because you're going to be forgotten, and not only do you not get a sense of worth and significance and joy from it, you actually get a bunch of stuff you don't want. The third myth is this, is that some of us believe we'll, our work will give us a, a sort of an identity, a a sense of who I am, or, or another way of putting this, a sense of my own self-worth. And in fact, what the writer would tell us, the preacher says, it actually doesn't give you that. If you'll pay attention, your, your work actually reveals your deepest insecurities and your ineptness. So then therefore you overwork to compensate from what work is showing about you. Are you following that? You got to go to chapter four to see this. Chapter four, verse four says this. I saw that all the labor, there's our work, word again, and skillful work or, or skillful work could be translated like all achievement and success in work is due to this. One person's jealousy of another. This too is futile in a pursuit of, of the wind. So what, is the, what does the preacher mean here by jealousy or some translations have Envy, is he just talking about like the kind of jealousy and envy to where like, you know, uh, you know, so-and-so has a better house than you and you want to have that house. So you're going to work harder in order for you to get that house. Well, it, it may be there. I don't think that's exactly what this preacher is trying to get after. I think he's talking about an envy 
that's at a deeper level that is rooted in our own insecurities that are revealed when we get around people that are in our same field of work. And what we do when we get around people that are in our same field of work, we begin to compare ourselves, don't we? And we see, oh, wow, they're better at this. They're better at that. Wow, this person is really killing it here. Do we, um, you know, I'm just asking, maybe you do this, maybe you don't. When you see those things in someone else, that they're better than you in this and better than you, do you go, man, praise God, praise God, praise God. Man, I'm so happy that you're so much better than me and that. Man, praise the Lord. What a wonderful gift, right? Do you do that? If you do, man, you're a super Christian, right? Maybe you should come up here and start preaching, right? Because I don't. I mean, just this week, guys, just this week, I can give you examples, at least three examples, to where my work exposed my insecurities and my ineptness, and it's all rooted in my comparing myself to another preacher who's way more gifted in this area than I am. And when that happens, guys, look, what do we do? Some of us go and overwork. In unhealthy ways so that we can kind of compensate how my work revealed my insecurities because I'm comparing myself. That's the jealousy and envy he's talking about. So instead of work, <laughs> this is crazy, but man, this is what is true. Instead of work giving us a sense of self-worth and value, it actually exposes some of our deepest insecurities, and then we have a tendency to try to overcompensate that. It doesn't give you that sense of self-worth that you thought it would. Some of us may say, I'm working to provide a service. The preacher would come along and say, ah. Actually, you're working to provide an identity. You're trying to show your worth and your value. You say you're working to get a paycheck, but ah. Actually, you're working to get a life. And he's coming to you and going, look, look. Work won't do it for you. It will not give you a sense of self-worth and value. It will not. It won't. That's why I say this book is such a gift to us if we'll listen. If we'll listen. So myth number one, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a lasting impact. Ah, no, no, you're not. You're going to die and be forgotten. And all the work that you've done, ah, who knows what's going to happen to it. Oh, man, work gives me joy. A sense of fulfillment, ah, maybe a little bit. It's short-lived, but here's what it gives you. Sleepless nights, <laughs> ulcers, stress, anxiety. Got to take some medication. <laughs> Medication's not wrong. I'm not saying that at all. Please don't hear me say that. Myth number three, ah, oh, it gives me a sense of self-worth. Ah, no, actually it exposes your deepest insecurities because you're constantly comparing yourself with other people. Hey, do you feel this? What goes on in your mind when you leave your work on Monday, Tuesday, whenever? What, what goes on? You ever have those conversations in your head? What in the world am I doing? Why am I doing this? You see, sometimes you, 
have a tendency to project things on me in the sense of like, you're a pastor, Lyle. I'm sure you, you know, you know the value of your work. You probably never struggle with this. You're in vocational ministry. I mean, goodness gracious, if there's any person in the room that would see the value and the impact of their work, it would be Lyle. Well, nope, (laughs) that's not the case. I'm a human being that's in a fallen body also who's in need of a savior. His name is Jesus that's living in a fallen world. And I leave here a lot of weeks and a lot of Sundays going, what was that for? I spent half my week preparing a little talk. What's it doing? And that's not to say I need emails of encouragement. I'm just trying to be honest with you with what's going on in my interior world when I walk out of here. So the same things you're saying about your work, I'm saying it about this. What's the point? (laughs) So, I know it's really encouraging words. Amen, aren't you glad you came to church? And maybe you can go home and Tune in Joel Olstein. I don't know. Maybe I'll have you feel a little better. And like, thanks a lot, Lyle. He's not trying to make us depressed. He's just trying to be honest and wake you up. So what do we do? It's, this sounds really bad, but what do we do? This all sounds awful. Well, this is where we get this whole theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Look, guys, look. And I know this is easier said than done, all right? And I'm not saying what I say the next 10 minutes is gonna wrap it up and you're gonna figure it's all out. But this is where it, it, it really begins. You, you've got to grow by the grace of God and learn how to receive your work as a gift and not gain. And that can only happen in and through a relationship with God through a son, Jesus Christ, that's given to you by grace. When he forgives you of your sin, he gives you also a spirit that lives within you and gives you new life, new wants, new desires, a new capacity that doesn't happen overnight, but over the long haul of your life, you're constantly learning, how can I receive my work as a gift? As a gift, not striving for something, but a a gift, not gain. I mean, that's what he's getting after. We talked about this last week in chapter two. Look what he says here in verses 24 through 25. There's nothing better for a person than to what? Eat, drink, and enjoy his work. Enjoy your work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand. It's a, it's a gift. It's not something you strive after. It's a, a gift because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? It's a gift. It's a posture of receiving. God alone, not things, not your work, is the giver of joy. That's where we, where we get it from. We've got to see our work as a gift from him, not something to, to go after to gain. No, a gift so then that I can enjoy my work. He picks up this same theme in chapter 4, but he does it in kind of like a little riddle. So if you remember, you know, verse 4 of chapter 4 said, let me find in my notes. All, I saw that all labor and skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. This is too futile in pursuit of the wind. And then verses five and six are still kind of keeping this same subject, but it's like, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Look what he says here. Verse five, the fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. So this is what the preacher is saying. is like, you can 
kind of hear all of his negativity about work and you can go, all right, what's the point, right? I'm just going to like go tomorrow and say, I'm done. Everything that I thought about my job, the Bible is conform, confirmed and the pastor told me to go and quit. So I'm going, right? I mean, that's how you can kind of like draw conclusions here. But the preacher comes in here in verse five and says, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. The fool folds his hands. That's the idea of just like laziness, taking a nap. And, you know, not that it's sinful to take a nap, but it's just basically saying, look, you, no, you're created in the image of God to be productive, to work, to produce things, to add value to this community. So the answer is not, well, I'm done. <laughs> it's just like, let's just go. My translation was, let's just kind of blow up the, the, the inner tube and float down the lazy river, right? Your whole life is not to be lived with your hands in your pants, like, Jim Bundy or whatever his name was back in the day. All right, you're like, that's really bad. All right, so, but he's just trying to help you see, no, the, the answer is not that you just go and be lazy. I'm done with work. No, that's, that's dumb. That's, that's foolish. You are created to work. But look at verse six. This is, goes along here. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and pursuit of the wind. So the picture here, based on what we see from the language, is like, you don't want to live life like this. Just grabbing, grabbing, striving, striving, grabbing, grabbing, striving, striving. It, it'll leave you empty. Instead, the posture is this. Grab, work. You're created to do this. This is the image of God in you. Yes, pursue, have ambition. But the other hand is open. It's a gift. It's rest. Pursue, work, ambition, gift, rest. That's what he's saying. No, 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 no. Don't go after work for gain. They'll never give it to you. Receive it as a gift. Receive it as a gift. And by the grace of God, you can enjoy it. So, That's nice, but what's that look like tomorrow? What's that look like when I walk out these doors, Lyle? This whole posture, work, rest, receiving as a gift. What does this look like? Three questions real quickly here and I'm done. Instead of giving you statements, I want to give you questions to really think and reflect on. The first one is this. Can you put your work down? Do you, and I don't mean this in some kind of guilt, shame way, unless the guilt is coming from the Spirit of God, that's a good guilt, conviction. But do you observe Sabbath? Do you take 24 hours and put your work down? That's a gift that God gave us. You're not created to work seven days a week. You're not. And maybe 24-hour period is way impossible for you. Well, and then start off with six. Maybe six is too, too much. Start off with three. Find a 
a lengthy span of time where you put your work down. If you find it difficult to put your work down, you may, I'm just putting this before, you may be pursuing work for gain. Can you put your work down? Second question. If you're married, if you have a family, does your family feel, does your family feel their value? Not just spoken words, right? But does your family, does your spouse feel their value? Or do they feel that you do your family time or whatever you want to call that so that you can get back to what is really important guilt-free? If you find yourself restless, unsettled, fidgety, when you are at home in the midst of that work, then you may be pursuing your other work for gain. I mean, I know you know this, but it's good to be reminded of this. When you die, your boss will not be carrying your casket, nor any of your coworkers. I mean, I love this church family, but I do know this, that when I die, none of you in this room will carry my casket. Not one person. The only people that carry my, my casket in this room are sitting right over there. My four boys. And does that understanding, does that truth impact what I value when it comes to my work? It's very convicting. Can you put your work down? If you're married, does your family feel their value? And then lastly, and I know for some of us in this room, if you've grown up in, ch grown up in church, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you do. But I really want to push you to answer this question, where do you find your identity? Where do you find your self-worth, your value? Where, where? Where is that? Will you do the hard work of answering that question? Because the invitation here is God's wanting you to receive an identity and stop striving for it. I'll say that again. This is, this is the beautiful invitation that God puts before us each and every week. He wants you to receive an identity and stop striving for it. In Christ, man, you find your true self. You don't have to go chasing after it. It's given to you. It's a gift. And when you receive, instead of striving after it, and you realize that the at the core of who you are is that you are a child of God. If you are in Jesus, you are a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of King Jesus. And right there, you have worth. Right there, you have value. Right there, you are important. 
right there, your Father in heaven looks at you and smiles big. Before you ever step into your office or cubicle or work and you do something or you don't do something, right? He is smiling on you because you are his child. And I'm just saying, wow, man, we say it, we, we know this, but let's live this out. Like what, what it would look like for you to really live with this framework in mind. Doesn't mean that you don't work hard. Doesn't mean that you don't strive to please your boss. Doesn't mean that you don't do your part amongst the coworkers. I'm not saying that at all. It just means that, hey, when I fail, when I blow it, or when I succeed and do an amazing thing, what doesn't ever change is God's love and value and joy over you because you're his child. And it's from that identity that I want to operate. And here's what I'm just saying, like, that's a lifelong journey. It's not like a little prayer you pray right now. Oh, I got to figure it out. No, you don't. It's a lifelong journey to live out of that reality. And maybe for you, as it is for me, you wake up tomorrow morning and you just, before you even hit your feet on the floor, just stop and say, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm a child of God. No matter what I'm facing tomorrow, no matter conversations I've got, no matter the workload I have, whether it goes great or it goes really poorly, that will never change. Where, where do you find your identity? I'll close with this, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. It's builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, tolling for food to eat. For he, meaning the Lord, grants sleep to those he loves. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.